Bridge Kids, you are dismissed. At least the younger ones will be going to class. rest of us are going to be in Revelation chapter 22, and um, it's really true. This is the completion of the Ready or Not series, so um, I will not come back in two weeks and say, I have a new plan to go back to this series. This past uh, week marked the 50th anniversary of a famous Pulitzer Prize-winning picture of the Vietnam War. Some of you know that. Some of you saw this in the news. The picture was taken June 8th, 1972, after a napalm bomb was dropped on a small village outside of Saigon. The picture taken was a group of children running down uh, a road away from a black cloud where a napalm bomb had just struck. The children were screaming in pain. At the center of the picture was a nine-year-old girl with her clothes burned off. Her name was Kim Fuke. The doctor said she would not survive, but after 14 months and 17 surgeries, she did survive and went home to be with her family. For years, there was continued pain, nightmares, and an overwhelming anger for what had been done to her. She later said, the anger inside of me was like a hatred, high as a mountain, and my bitterness was black as old coffee. I hated my life. I hated all people who were normal because I was not normal. I wanted to die many times. The doctors helped heal my wounds, but they could not heal my heart. As a teenager, while spending time in a library, Kim found a Bible, and she began to read the New Testament. And she said, the more I read, the more I felt confused. Which is true? Was it my religion from Vietnam, or was it the Bible? Kim's brother-in-law, who had a friend who was a Christian, so she met with this friend to ask her questions. And after they talked through the questions, the friend invited Kim to go to her church on Christmas Eve. At the end of the service, an invitation was given for anyone who might want to place their faith in Christ and begin a personal relationship with Him and have their sins forgiven. She said, I could not wait to trust the Lord. And it has made all of the difference. She writes that Jesus helped me to learn to forgive my enemies and finally have peace in my heart. And now when she sees the scars on her body and she feels the pain, she remembers that she has won who has scars on his body and who has felt the pain. And he suffered for her. And he is with her every day. 
One day for Kim Poo, there will be no more suffering and no more pain. And she will have a new body. And she will see Jesus face to face because she will be totally healed. One day she will be in God's paradise. And that brings us to Revelation chapter 22. And um, I want to take us back, and I'm just going to read the first four verses in Revelation 21, just to remind us where we were um, last time. Because the eternal kingdom begins in Revelation 22, and Revelation 20, and Revelation 21, and Revelation 22 is a continuation about this eternal kingdom at the end of the age. And Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4, the Apostle John writes these words. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And I just wanted to remind us that when we come to the eternal kingdom, Everything has changed. The old order has been passed away. The earth as we know it will be totally gone. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And there will be a, this new city of God coming down out of heaven. And Jesus' prayer about the, God's kingdom coming and on earth, uh, God's will will be done as it is in heaven. It will be answered. And so we come to Revelation 22, and we, we have the return to paradise, verses 1 through 6. We start with the new home of the tree of life. Now, one of the things you, I just want to say, you know, I confess the book of Revelation is hard. It's difficult. There's a lot of things that I find hard to understand and I don't understand because the book of Revelation covers so many different things in the Bible. And one of the things that we keep seeing in Revelation 22 is it goes back to the book of Genesis. So let's start with verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. That city is the city of God. It is the new Jerusalem. The Apostle John is trying to describe something that he's never seen before. You know, if you and I had to describe this, how would we have written it down? Uh, this is a scene that takes place in the New Jerusalem that came out of heaven. This is when uh, all the earth will be as it is in heaven. 
And there will be a river of water flowing from the throne of God. I don't know what that's going to be like. The throne of God and the Lamb of God. From the Father and the Son, they will be on the throne in this eternal kingdom because God is the eternal king. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. Please note that, the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nation. What's this like? I don't know. I, it's hard to put this into a picture. The tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit each month. Pretty productive. And then this tree of life is so life-giving that even the leaves provide healing for the nations. And that means those who are, do not have a Jewish background or Jewish DNA in their system. It means Gentiles like you and me. And, you know, one of the things that we, don't, we, we forget about is this was revolutionary in the first century to have Jews and Gentiles together. And God, he, he originated his people with the Jewish people, and then it exploded in the first century with the coming of Jesus and his death on the cross. Um, the tree, uh, so what tree? The tree of life. We, we have to go back to the original paradise, um, the paradise that was lost, the Garden of Eden. And we see this in Genesis 2, 8, and 9. And uh, here's what we see in the book of Genesis Now the Lord God had planted in the garden in the east, in Eden, the Garden of Eden, and there he put a man he had formed, the one he had created out of dust. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, two trees. One is called the tree of life. One is called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. One tree was prohibited from Adam and Eve. They may eat of any tree in the garden except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is where we see the tree of life for the first time. Adam and Eve were given permission and they, to eat any tree except one, and they chose to eat the one that was prohibited. And there were eternal consequences. Next, in Revelation 22, verse 3, no longer will there be any curse, the writer says. No longer, not only... Uh, Will there be a tree of life in this city of God? But there will no longer be any curse in this city. Well, what curse? Well, it's a curse, the curse of sin, the curse that God gave to Adam. Again, I'm going to go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. And this happens after they ate the fruit. Verses 14 and 15. And so the the first curse comes to the serpent. Now think about Uh, the implications of this. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, 
Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat the dust of days, eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and, and you will strike his heel. I don't like snakes to this very day, but this is more than about snakes. Because the serpent is identified by Jesus as empowered by Satan himself in the Garden of Eden. The curse is a spiritual warfare issue because there is a spiritual enemy and there will be a struggle between Satan and humanity. And we still have it today until our death or until Jesus returns. Chapter 3 and verse 17. Look at the curse. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife. Now, guys, normally you want to listen to your wife. I can tell you from experience, she's usually right. This time, she got it wrong. And Adam is held responsible. Because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. Through painful toil, you will eat food from all the days of your life. Work is not the curse. Adam and Eve were given great responsibility to work in the garden, and it was all good. But because of this, it's all going to change, and now it's going to be much more difficult. And um, it'll be the, the difficulty will be multiplied. The, the immediate result of the curse of sin in verses 23 and 24, Genesis 3, 23 and 24. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had taken. And after he drove the man out, so God banished Adam from this garden. God ran him off. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden, cherubim, that's how you say it in Hebrew, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve were no longer allowed to be in the presence of the tree of life. The fruit from the tree of life was no longer available because they could eat from the fruit of any tree, but not one. And so they are removed and retrieving food will not be easy any longer. Verses 3 through 5, the light of the world. Verse 3, the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in the city and his servants will serve him. So this is the center of the eternal kingdom. God is the king and God is on his throne and his servants will serve him. If you are a genuine follower of Christ, 
You will be there, and you and I will serve him. Um, you and I will be given specific jobs, and we will have a specific role. We will not be sitting on a cloud playing a harp. It's characterized often. And I guarantee you, you will have the most rewarding job and do the most rewarding work you have ever done in your life. You can count on that. You can't imagine it, but you can count on it. In verse 4, they will see his face. The servants of God will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. In heaven, in the eternal kingdom, we will see God face to face, and we will not be embarrassed or ashamed. And we will not have to turn away. And his name will be on our foreheads. I'm not sure if exactly what that's going to look like, if Yahweh is going to be on my forehead or what name is going to be on my forehead. Or I just primarily seeing that our identity is going to be so wrapped up in being a part of the family of God and having God as our our father, our, our identity. Verse 5, there will be no more night. Will, and we, we saw this in Revelation 21. Uh, they will not need the light of a lamp the, or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and, and they will reign forever and ever. The key phrase is, and they will reign forever and ever. This means you and me will reign with Christ. This means if you are a follower of Christ, you are royalty because you are related to the King of Kings. It was the Apostle Peter who said, You are a royal priesthood. You are in the royal family if you are a born of God and a child of God. Adam and Eve were originally created in the image of God and were given the responsibility to rule over the earth as God's co-regents. That was a high call and a high privilege for the first humans to be relegated at the top of the chain to rule. They lost it with sin. And you will become a co-regent, ruling and serving with Christ over the new creation, over all of it. Our job will be to steward the new heaven and the new earth. Verse 6, the message of affirmation. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The angel wants John to know that he can count on this message, that it's completely trustworthy. All of God's people can count on the message of this book. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that soon must take place. So the angel just tells John, this is for you, John. This is for you to take back to the churches mentioned in Revelation chapter 2 and verses 3. This is for us and for all the churches today. 
This message is to be shared and it's to be studied. In verses 7 through 21, we come to the final description of the return of Jesus. Verse 7, there's a blessing for obedience. Jesus speaks. He says, look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who keep the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. There are seven blessings mentioned in the book of Revelation. This is Jesus speaking to John and to us. Jesus is coming, and we are to be ready, we are to be watchful, and we are to be faithful. We don't know when he will come, that's clear, but he will come. You can count on it. There is a blessing for those of you who pay attention to this, who trust the words of Jesus and embrace them in your life. This is a blessing for obedience. There is no blessing for just doing your own thing. The best you can. There's no blessing for that. Question for us is, do you take Jesus' words seriously? Do they matter to you? You know, God's plan was never for the gospel to be fire insurance where we just escape hell. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. That is to follow, to follow Christ. And it's just following Christ one day at a time. The blessing in verse 7 is mindful of the blessing in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, at the very beginning of the book. And it reads, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and take it to heart what is written, because the time is near. You might be tempted to say, well, it doesn't seem like it's near because it's been 2,000 years. And God has always wanted us to live as if today is the day and to be ready for the imminent return of Jesus. He's always wanted that. That's all the way through. Verse uh, 22, verses 8 and 9, we have the right focus for worship and we get a reminder here about this. And here's what happens in verse 8, and this is like so human. Uh, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. He's the eyewitness. And when I heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who has been showing them to me. John is just overwhelmed with the supernatural. He's had all of these experiences. They're amazing. He doesn't have categories for all of them. And he knows this angel is greater than him, and so he just... He tries to honor him in in the moment, and he bows down to the angel. Verse 9, but he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. John, we're both servants. You know better than that. Don't do that. And then he says, 
Worship God. Pretty simple. It's for us. Worship God. God is the only one worthy of our worship. You know, first century people had a lot of different options when it came to worship. Every country had many gods to choose from. So many idols, idolatry rampant. I'm not sure we've come very far, though. Idols were not the true and living God. They were things created by humans. And they were the imagination of humans. And they often ended up figurines put on a shelf. But are we smarter today? We are tempted to have idols too. Our idols might not be figurines that we put on the shelf, but our idols are things that we end up putting ahead of God and we have a higher value on those things. And we may not go around saying, well, I worship this, I worship that. But it's the way we live that demonstrates what has the highest value in our lives. Idols can be anything that we make more important than God. You know, sometimes Christian families make their kids more important than God. And that's a form of an idol. Sometimes uh, Christians make their careers more important than God. Yes, we all have to work. That's pretty normal. You can pretty much expect that. It doesn't have to become the most important thing that drives your life. Sometimes personal goals become more important than God's goals. Some people make their pets more important than God. Do you? Some people make their stomachs, their food, more important than God. No, they would never say that, I worship food. But that can be the center of their lives. Some people make pornography more important than than God. And they might be totally embarrassed by that, but that's how they live. Some people might make alcohol. Some people might make money more important than God. And how we handle our money is a good demonstration. And our generosity is a good demonstration of how we view money. And I know some Christians that are pretty stingy with God. I know some Christians who are very generous with God. But it shows our priorities. Some people make their personal time more important than God. It comes back to, what do we worship? Do we worship God first? There's a warning in verses 10 and 11. In verse 10, then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. There it is again, the time is near. This means make available this book to future generations. If a scroll were sealed in this supernatural sense at this time, then the scroll could not be read. God wants his people to know about the future. Blessed are those who study the words of the prophecy and heed its instructions. But it was said differently to Daniel in the Old Testament 600 years earlier. In Daniel chapter uh, 12 and verse 4, the angel 
who was guiding Daniel through his experience, but you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. It, it will be opened, but not until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. I think there's a clue here. Daniel's prophecy and his visions are very hard to understand, even today. But as we get closer to the end, Daniel's prophecies are being unsealed so that people can read them and understand them by God and begin to tie them with the book of Revelation. There is so much back and forth between these two books. And God spoke in both of those in apocalyptic literature form, which is full of symbols and supernatural things to sort of protect God's people at the time. Because at the time these books were written, God's people were severely persecuted. And that's one of the approaches that God took to prophecy in certain situations. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 11, let, those who, who, let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the one person, uh, let the vile person continue to be vile. Let, let the one who does right continue to do right. So the angel continues to give John insight. Now, be reminded that this is in, he's referring to John's day. This isn't in the eternal kingdom that this is, this is happening. This is taking in this message from the book of Revelation and taking it back to people. God has created people with a free will. They can choose. If they are not interested in God, they can walk away from God. And they will. And some people will put their faith in Christ and, and they uh, will, will become devoted to Christ. But let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. But by the end of the age, the time of the eternal kingdom, there will be no more opportunity. That's the angel's point here. That's what they choose? Okay. That's what they choose? Okay. But now, and here's the point of the book of Revelation, now is the time for opportunity. That's why we have this book. Now is the time for the gospel. Now is the time for God's people to be on mission. Here's what the angel told Daniel. Daniel chapter 12 and verses 9 and 10. He replied, this is the angel, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. This is why I think we're getting closer. Many will be purified and made spotless and refined. That's conversion. But the wicked will continue to be wicked. That's like Revelation 22. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. 
Daniel's prophecy would be sealed up until the end of the age. But many will be purified, meaning many will come to faith in Jesus and be cleansed from their sin. They would be forgiven from the penalty of sin. At the same time, there will be people who continue to pursue life without God. They will refuse to honor God and they will refuse to honor Christ. Now, if you know the history of interpretation in the book of Revelation, it was confusing for theologians for years and years, for hundreds of years. Luther was afraid of it. He would not include it in his New Testament. Luther was a great godly man who was a great leader in the Reformation, but he did not like Revelation. John Calvin did not like Revelation, so I've just hit two big theologians that represent two large groups. The book of Revelation has always been difficult. I personally believe because of the study and the focus over the last hundred years, we have more information about the book of Revelation than we ever had before. Now, I've said it before, godly people have different views on that, and it's okay. I, I can't die for everything I have said about the book of Revelation. But there is a lot of information we can know because I believe God is giving more and more understanding about the future. Okay, verses 12 through 17. The invitation comes from Jesus himself. Look at verse 12. Jesus speaks. Look, I'm coming soon. You know, I don't know what to tell you, but he says he's coming soon. I believe that. I just don't know when. And if it's 100 years or 2,000 more years, I'm to live like today is the day. Time is in a different category in God's perspective. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what they have done. His return is imminent. We are to live as if today is today. We are to be ready. We are to be watchful. We are to be faithful. When he comes, he will give each person what he or she deserves. For you who are genuine Christ followers, genuine believers in Christ, here's what 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15 says to us. Verse 10, by the grace God has given to me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. Someone else is building on it now, but each one should build with care. So the Apostle Paul is the one who came to the Corinthians with the gospel, and he laid a foundation, and that foundation was Jesus, and he began to teach them the implications of trusting Christ and being a Christ follower. That's the foundation. Now, life is about growing in Christ and building on that foundation. Now, there are others who are going to come and build on the foundation for the Corinthians, and probably the primary thing he's talking about are teachers, those who are teaching truth. But individually, we're all responsible to grow and to build our lives on that foundation that we've been given. And that's what 
Paul talks about here. Each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important when it comes to the cults. They, they often start off with the wrong foundation right off the bat. It's a dead giveaway. Next slide. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, and costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to the light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Um, Jesus is this only solid foundation. He's the cornerstone. And he says, if anyone builds... Paul uses various building materials here to describe spiritual life. And and these various building materials are metaphorically described spiritual building materials. Gold, silver, and costly stones are invaluable building materials in the spiritual life. Those things that last forever. But wood, hay, and stubble are those things that are worthless and have no eternal significance. And sadly, we pour our lives into a lot of things that are worthless. And then he writes, And their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. You know, wood, hay, and stubble don't do well in fire for very long. And that's what's going to happen to the things that we've invested in our life that have no eternal value. They're going to evaporate. Verse 14, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. The life that is invested in following Christ will be rewarded by Christ. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. If we as Christ followers invest our lives in worthless things, we're going to be highly disappointed. We are going to suffer loss. It's right in the text. When you stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, which is only for Christ followers, somebody is going to suffer loss. And yet, they will be saved because they have at some point placed their faith in Christ. as one escaping through the flames. God wants way more than fire insurance. He wants us to follow him just one day at a time. He knows we're not perfect, but he gives us the strength if we ask him. And when we mess up, he he gives us a way to approach for forgiveness and to be cleansed again and to get a new start one day at a time. We come to Revelation 22, verses 13 through 17, and Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, first and the last, the beginning and the end. And we, we saw this description in Revelation 21. Um, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet, just Jesus is the complete and continual and um, totally um, all that is ever needed. He's the beginning and the end. He was there at creation. He was the creator God. And he will be there in the new creation, in the city of God. He is our creator and he is our redeemer. 
Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes. Meaning, those who put on clothing of righteousness. This isn't about good works. This isn't about earning salvation in any way. It's about being clothed. When a person comes to faith in Christ, they are given the righteousness of Christ. And now they have new clothing, a new cover-up for our sin. In Genesis um, chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, they were embarrassed about their human bodies. They took, they covered themselves with leaves out of their embarrassment. They covered up. And that didn't do it. But we can be covered now with the righteousness of Christ. And that's what he's talking about here. Blessed are those who wash their robes, who put their faith in Christ and are covered by the righteousness of Christ, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Those who have the righteousness of Christ will have access to the tree of life. The tree of life that Adam and Eve were separated from from the beginning. Verse 15, a hard passage here. Outside are the dogs. I don't like name-calling, but here it is. But it's a reference uh, used in the Old Testament times as well as used by the Apostle Paul. It's a reference for unbelievers, those who totally disregard and treat God as unimportant those who practice magic arts, those who dabble in the supernatural stuff apart from God, the sexually immoral, those who care nothing about God's design and His plan for human sexuality, which is very, very beautiful. And God has put protections around it. The murderers, the haters, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood, deception, lies. They're outside. Now, this doesn't mean that they're outside of the eternal kingdom. They're not inside, but this is not even referring to the same time period. It's for John's day to know, for our day to know the consequences of sin. Because Revelation 22 already happens after the, the lake of fire and the great white throne judgment when those who are unbelieving are cast into the lake of fire. Verse 16, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. This book. This Revelation chapter 22. This is the way it was described in Revelation chapter 1. Jesus sent his angel to give a testimony to the churches. That's what God wants with this book, that we know these things. 
And then he says, just to identify himself, I am the root and offspring of David. What does he mean? Well, the root, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, the root of Jesse is described, and he will be Messiah, the Christ. The root of Jesse. Well, who's Jesse? Well, he's just a Jewish man, no particular greatness about him. But he will have a son, and his name will be David, and David will be a great king. And in 2 Samuel 7, this Messiah will be the son of David. It's also found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. It's also found many times in the Gospels, and we start with Luke chapter 1, with the angel to Mary. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star because he's the one bringing a bright new day to the start of the eternal kingdom. The spirit and the bride say, the Holy Spirit and the bride. Who is the bride? It's you, the church. The spirit and the bride say, come. It's an offer of invitation. This is what the book has been building up to. It's an invitation to people to come to Jesus, to come into a personal relationship with him. An invitation from the Spirit and the bride. And that's a great reminder to us. That's our job is to invite people to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then Jesus says, and let the one who hears say, come. The one who hears this message maybe doesn't know Jesus yet, but they hear it and it starts to make sense and they want to know more. And Jesus says, come. And so my question is, have you placed your faith in Christ? You know the answer. Have you begun a personal relationship with God through Christ? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? If you are a Christ follower and you hear this, then you have a great reason to just say, thank you, God, and follow him and give your life to him and yield your life to his leadership and, and his direction and seek to obey and be honest with him every day about how we live. And when we fail, be honest and tell God and ask him forgiveness and thank him that he will cleanse you. And then Jesus says, let those who thirsty come, let those who wish to take the free gift of the water of life come. If you are thirsty, meaning if you're searching to know God, if you want to know more about God, if you're seeking to understand God, Jesus says through the Apostle John, come, accept the offer of God's salvation to take the free gift of the water of life. The water of life referring to eternal life. And it's free. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The warning comes in verses 18 and 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. 
The, pre- the plagues of Revelation include the devastation of Revelation chapter 6 through 9, which is that tribulation period. And um, also, it, it refers to Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment. Verse 19, if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. God is serious about this book. Are we? God's word is of the highest importance, which makes me ask the question, how about us? Is God's word important in our lives? What are we doing to spend time in God's word to know him and to understand how he thinks and how he works and how he operates and what he wants for us today? Do we listen to what God's saying? We have to be exposed to it. We have to be open to it. And then we have to seek to live by faith and do it. How is God's word impacting your life day by day? Do you find joy in being in God's word? We come to the end, the benediction, the close of the book. This is the close of the Bible. Revelation 22, verses 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. I think there's a strong message here that Jesus wants for his church. Yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. John says, come, Lord Jesus. Jesus is coming, ready or not, like it or not. Jesus is coming. In verse 21, we have the final benediction, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. It's about God's grace being with you, God's uh, favor being on your life. Do you need God's favor? It's about God's strength uh, being with you day by day. Back in Revelation chapter 2, in a letter to the church at Ephesus, Jesus says these words. Whoever has ears, you got ears? Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Do we have ears to hear? Do we understand? Will we be victorious? Will we eat from the tree of life? To you who maybe don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus says, come. Come to him today because now is the time. In John chapter 3, verse 36, Jesus said uh, these words to a very religious man named Nicodemus. And he said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. This is how simple it is. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. It's two choices. It's kind of simple. I didn't say it was easy. It's simple. Two eternal outcomes. Choose one with God. Sins forgiven. Eternal life. Choose one without God. Eternal death. Under God's wrath. In hell. 
It's called the lake of fire, Revelation 20. It's the choice is to believe Christ or reject Christ. If you do nothing, that's a rejection. And it's your choice. Every person here has that choice. Some of you have made it. Some of you maybe have not. If you would like to put your trust in Jesus today, I invite you to make the decision today. Here is how you can express your decision. Prayer is the way we talk to God. Prayer is the way that we express our faith. There's no magical prayer. There's no formula that connects all the dots. It's about honesty before God and coming to him on his terms. And I want to say as we close, consider making this your prayer. I want to go through a prayer that expresses faith and putting our trust in Jesus Christ, one that many of you have made already. But if you haven't, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. So I want to go through. Let me just read it to you. And then the second time, we'll bow our heads. And if that prayer made sense, I want to invite you to pray that for yourself, okay? Here's the prayer. Just listen. You don't have to bow your heads. Dear God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I have done things and said things and thought things that dishonor you. Please forgive me. Today, I accept your invitation to come uh, to you. I believe what you said about your son, Jesus about him dying on the cross and paying for my sins. Thank you that he paid for my moral debt. And today I want to start fresh with a clean slate with your help. Could you make that your prayer? So now I'd just like to close by asking us, everyone, to bow our heads together. And um, if you already know Jesus, you can pray for people who may not know Jesus yet. But if, if this prayer made sense to you, and this is a decision I made when I was 25 years old, if this makes sense to you, I would invite you to pray with me to express your faith. Dear God, you can just pray silently. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I have done things and said things and thought things that dishonor you. Please forgive me. Today I accept your invitation to come to you. I believe what you said about Jesus, your son, who died on the cross for my sins. Thank you that he paid for my moral debt. Today I want to start with a clean slate, a new start with your help. If everybody would just keep your heads bowed, right, just for another minute, if you would just keep your heads bowed, Nobody's going to be looking around. If you prayed that prayer with me, silently from your own heart, would you just raise your hand so I could see it? If you prayed with me, just go ahead and raise your hand. Who else? Would you pray with me, silently? Thank you. You can put your hands down. Gracious God, I thank you for those who have indicated today that they have put their trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, for the forgiveness of their sins. God, may they have a sense of your forgiveness right now because it is true. May they sense your presence. May they sense your new work in their lives. 
to give them a clean slate and a start with you. Help each one to grow and to get to know you. And God, for all of us who uh, are, are Christ followers, help us to value the book of Revelation, all of the scriptures. We confess we don't know everything, but we want to know more. Please help us to understand. Help us to find time to grow in our understanding of your word. Help us to apply what we know. Help us to live by faith. Help us to learn obedience, even if it's the hard way. Thank you, God, that you are turning hard things and difficult things into beauty. Thank you that one day there will be no more pain, no more death, no more dying, no more mourning, no more grieving, no more anxiety, no more depression. Thank you, God, that one day we will see you face to face for Jesus' sake.